welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another thrilling, heavily finish episode of Get Better at Business. John Savanto is joins me. John is one of my business coaches and is literally the only human being on the entire planet that is both my business coach and finish. How does that make you feel? How, how, how does that make you feel? It makes me feel pretty special. It makes me feel pretty unique, actually. And uh, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Well, you know, okay. So, you know, John is, uh, uh, John is a mentor of mine, one of my business coaches, and he is the chair of my Vistage group. And Vistage is a peer networking group where, you know, and they have different levels of the group. The organization that I am in is where CEOs hang out with other CEOs. You know, I met John through, that is how I know John is I met him through Vistage. But the more that I've gotten to know John, it's like you peel back the layers of this onion and, you know, there's just more, you know, there, there's always more down in there, you know, like, you know, John speaks four languages, you know, shipped how many pounds of packages, uh, whenever he was working as a guy at UPS. About 975,000 pounds of packages. Yeah. 975,000 pounds of packages. So when I first met John, like the first question that I had of like, okay, is this guy going to be the right fit for me? I'm like, okay, well, is this dude ever like, you know, he was obviously very well credentialed and in knowledge and, you know, had great pedigree, but I'm just like, has this guy ever actually worked before? And then boy, howdy, uh, I, I find out that it's like, tell the story about how it is that you came to work as a shipping guy at UPS. I came to the United States via Mexico city. And originally from Canada and growing up uh, in Canada and working in Canada. And I was looking to go with the large bond trading firm in New York and 9-11 occurred. And that really changed the, the landscape. So I wanted to take a bit of a different direction. I wanted to learn Spanish, teach at a university, start a consulting company and eat well. And I looked at, I could do that in Colombia, maybe Mexico City. Or, or Spain. And I thought, well, if everything goes to crap, I could at least walk home from Mexico City. And 24 million people didn't hurt. So I did all that. And then when I came to Dallas uh, for the first time and immigrated and got married, uh, the first, it was really the beginning of the recession, 2007, March. There's something called level three assets on bank balance sheets. And uh, the the industry and finance was taking a strong turn downwards. And I thought, well, I'd like to do something a little bit different than standard portfolio management, trading, consulting, working with companies. I'd like to have something that puts together logistics, global logistics, and finance. And I looked around and uh, there really wasn't much available. Uh, I did find that UPS, big brown truck company, had a global banking division, which nobody knew about. Not even UPSers knew about it, and based in Atlanta. And I was looking through a newspaper, and I mentioned to my wife, I said, look at this, driver helpers, peak season UPS, uh, eight bucks an hour. And I showed it to her. I said, what do you think? And she goes, are you nuts? Are you crazy? <laughs> She's like, that's wonderful. What a great way to learn the business. And it wasn't exactly the re response I was expecting. So I stripped out uh, some of the stuff from my uh, CV, my resume. I did an online application. Two weeks later, I was, in a, I was in training class and I had my brown gear, brown pants and uh, brown shirt. 
And I was sitting in the little seat uh, by the driver on the truck running packages uh, to homes during peak season because it's absolutely crazy from Thanksgiving to, to December. And uh, as that ended, that was a little bit later in 2007. And uh, there were hiring freezes everywhere. Uh, looking at finance, I would have had to probably go to New York or London, um, perhaps somewhere in Asia. And that didn't look like it was feasible. Plus, I was recently married. So I asked uh, UPS, I said, hey, I'd like to go to UPS Capital. And they said, we don't even know what that is, John. <laughs> and I said, well, what's this thing called the hub? And they said, you don't want to go to the hub. I said, what's this thing called the hub? And you don't want to go to the hub. What is, the, what, what, is, what, is, what is the hub? The hub is the distribution facility uh, that for Dallas, there's a hub. Fort Worth has a hub. Uh, they're typically in city centers. And that's where all the packaging comes from all over the world and the United States. And that get then distributed into various trucks for distribution. And so I went and I did the night shift. I, I worked from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. I loaded packages. Lost 15 pounds in six months, but a lot stronger. I remember that the ends of my fingers for two months would hurt so much that when I was sleeping, I could feel that they hurt. They're always tingling because you're moving so many, so much weight in packages. And uh, and then during the day, I actually there's a small startup hedge fund, and I I was working with them on the sales side. So I do that, in the, and during the day, I jump on my motorcycle, and I have this little KLR 650 Kawasaki Enduro motorcycle, which my wife bought me. And then I'd go to the hub and I'd do that. And then I'd come home at like 2 a.m. and having loaded. So I, that's how I started loading packages. And uh, that was about six months. I think it was about 975,000 uh, packages, average weight of, I think, 6.7 pounds. And I think I had a one in 2300 error rate because you have to scan each package. And uh, so I learned that I can load a 53-foot trailer by myself uh, within about four or five hours and uh, survive to go do it again. I never did a double shift. All the cool people were doing double shifts. And uh, I, I never went that far. So that was my UPS package loading experience. So, yeah. So, so like I, I first get introduced to John, like I, I contact the Vistage people and say, Hey, I'm looking for some networking opportunities, you know, meet, hang out with some other CEOs and they say, well, Hey, we're, we got this guy that's starting a group in Dallas, you know, like doesn't exist yet. You'd be one of the founding members. And I'm like, ah, that sounds kind of cool. So what's this, you know, who's the coach? What's this guy? They say, well, it's this dude, John Savanto. And they kind of point me to, you know, some of your information and, uh, it's like, well, look, you know, you need to meet them and make sure that it's going to, you know, like, you know, they, they interview you as well. Make sure that y'all are both a good fit for one another. They send me that information. And like the first things that jumps into my mind is they, is I'm looking at John's background, you know, he's got, you know, like, a, like I mentioned before, he's got Harvard private equity, you know, and I'm just kind of, you know, super clearly smart, clearly super smart guy, you know, on paper. And I'm like, has this guy ever worked for a living? And then I meet John at a hotel lobby and we have a cup of coffee and he tells me that UPS story. And I was like, all right, like this guy, this, this guy knows about, you know, the business of moving stuff, moving physical stuff, which is something that I, as a manufacturing guy, like I deal with physical stuff. And so it was nice to know somebody that was going to coach me needed to understand and feel that pain and i know that john and his the tips of his fingers feel have quite literally felt that pain yeah and i think that's a valid point it's it's logistics mm -hmm. and 
everything that anything to do with once we get past planning ends up being logistics. And I don't know who the person that did the quote, I've heard quote in the military, mm-hmm. and you may know you having served, and is that amateurs talk about strategy, professionals talk about logistics. I dig it. It's probably some Air Force loggy that, you know, said that at some point, trying to make themselves feel better. You know, they never get invited to the big meetings with the four stars. Uh, anyway, so, uh, so, so like, you know, as I mentioned before, John is my Vistage coach and Vistage is a, you know, peer networking group. And this was something that I personally really wanted to do uh, for a while. But, you know, I, it took me a while to get over, uh, you know, it's an investment to be a member of Vistage and, and all that. And I, at, at some point, you know, especially after I'd met John, I finally was like, look, I'm going to take the leap. I'm going to write the check. I'm going to join and, and do this, especially after I got to meet a couple of the other members. And I can literally say that there has been nothing that has been more impactful uh, to me as a business leader than hanging out with other CEOs. And so... You know, they have that, like, and, and at least in my own experience, and John, you know, you've seen this play out for, you know, myself and for all of my other, you know, all, all the other members of, of, of the group that I'm in and then your other groups as well. Like, they always, you know, they kind of say the whole, like, well, it's lonely at the top. And as somebody that was running a company, I was kind of like, well, eh, you know, not real. I mean, it's fine. It's not lonely at the top. And then it's it's not until you experience what it's like to have that peer group and to kind of find your tribe so to speak, that I think people really understand what that means. And so go, you know, take, take us, take us below the neck, if you will. You know, John always talks about, you got above the neck problems with your head, and then you got the below the neck stuff. That's about your heart and your emotion. Take us a little below the neck on that idea of, uh, what it means to like, it kind of be lonely at the top, you know, like in your experience of working with CEOs, like has somebody running a company, maybe know what that means but not really understand it it's uh i think where it really comes is when when you're doing it you can talk about running a company all day and you know you can read books about it it's the the focus and the pressure the responsibility is singular because the ceo has ultimate responsibility if there's a board and if there's investors there's a fiduciary responsibility and who do you turn to when you're trying to figure it out while you're running at warp speed, going through issues and all the challenges that come through. And then life's going on at the same time. And when we speak about below the neck issues, that's where it's emotion. It's a touchy feely words. The, how do you feel? What's, what excites you in terms of what you do? And, and in the eighties, the, that was, that didn't really happen. You know, you buy the company, you cut costs, you cut people. People aren't really important. They're a cost versus an investment. And uh, we're good, right? Let's go make some money. And a lot of those companies, a lot of what were the best known companies and leaders, uh, it was ultimately destructive. They destroyed enormous amounts of value. Those companies, many of them are bankrupt. And uh, they were celebrated as, as brilliant leaders. In terms of how do you figure it out, well, it's the basics. And the basics mean that, and we'll use a sport analogy, you practice the same 
basic things over and over, whether it's in hockey or football or whatever the sport is. So when I hear business leaders or senior leadership team members say, hey, John, it's just the basics. You know, we've got that. And well, are you a professional athlete? Are you a professional leader in what you do? Because you never you've never got that. You're always working at improving it. How do you get in an environment that you can feel safe, where you can fail often, fail safely? Have people who are playing the same sport as you and uh, that are coming across various challenges. And, and it could, their, difference, their experience is different. So maybe they've sold three companies that they've built. Maybe they're going through an issue where they have to remove a co-founder. Maybe they're trying to lead this company and their key person has left a competitor. And at the same time, maybe there's some challenges on the family side, whether with children or health issues with family members. And, and that builds up over time. And when it's happening, it's very easy to arrive. This, I'm the only one that this is happening to. And woe is me. It's, it's not like misery loves company, right? It's, there's a, and, and so like, you know, and certainly we don't want to all sit around here and just be like, oh, you know, the poor CEOs. It's like, no, that's not really what it's about is that there's a, uh, there's a certain intensity and desire, you know, at least among the group that I'm a part of to do a really good job you know, and people that have that kind of mentality where they want to do a really good job for their people and for their companies and, you know, for their customers or their investors or all the stakeholders, you know, it just kind of goes hand in hand with putting a lot of pressure on yourself. And sometimes that can kind of, like you said, leak itself out in unhealthy ways, you know, and this is not unique to CEOs that, you know, you could, uh, you know, that you, you know, work yourself into a bad health situation or a bad relationship situation. And so, kind of having another group of people around you that can sort of be that reality check for you to check in and, you know, make sure that on both the business and the personal side, it, th there's just a really good clan of folks that can relate to a lot of, of what you're going through, you know? And I think with Vistage or other peer group environments, uh, Vistage, the one that I'm familiar with, and they've been around for 60 plus years. It's the, the reason that the interview process is relatively involved to be accepted into a group, one is the fit with a chair. The other is, how is that person going to show up? And are they going to be responsible for other people? And so the responsibility always lies in, how can I support the people and drive the value that uh, I hope that I can provide and I know that they'll provide for me. Yeah. I, I, and one of the things that has been kind of eye opening to me and like, I think part of the reason that I was hesitant to join a group for a long time is I didn't feel like I was going to be able to provide value. You know, like I figured like in my mind, it's like, you know, I, for anybody that doesn't know my personal history is that it's like, you know, this was a family business that was already up and running. You know, I didn't found the business. I didn't start everything off at new sales. I, you know, purchased it you know, from, uh, I, I purchased the company, you know, from my family. And so, you know, I don't have a degree and it, like this kind of the internal naysayer was just always letting me know that it's like, dude, if you get in a room with a bunch of other CEOs, you don't have anything to offer. And 
I found through the group that I actually have a, you know, it, what it turns, it turned out that I actually did have a lot to offer and I had a lot of perspective that I could offer to other people because, you know, one of the biggest myths that I busted by being as part of this thing is that it's like, look, dude, everybody's story is different. Everybody that's the CEO of their company has some kind of a different background. You know, it's like you hear, we just heard John, you know, and kind of part of his journey is like, yeah, dude, to get in at, you know, UPS, UPS capital, I I was working the night shift at the hub, you know, it's like that there's, uh, and, and everybody's story is different and all of those different stories offer helpful perspectives, you know, no matter what you're going through. So, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that idea of just, Hey, find your tribe, find the people that kind of are in that same spot as you can, is just a really helpful, important part of your growth. Well, and then I think a couple of things, uh, you know, I congratulate you and anyone who takes the, the step, the risk to join a peer group because it comes with a large amount of responsibility. It's really working towards a better version of, of ourselves. And so when people say, well, hey, John, I just want to make the company grow. Uh, I'm OK where I'm at. Well, that's what you need to make the company grow. And we're all unique. All companies are unique, but they're really, in the end, we're pretty similar. And so, you know, same blood test I have, you know, probably works on you. A lot of the same medication works the same way. And so when I hear that I'm so unique that nobody can understand my business, and then the question is, if that's the position that you're coming from, could you ever be open to contributing to other people's business? And if the answer is no, well, then you're not going to be part of a peer group. And if the answer is no, you probably don't have a very strong leadership team. And if the answer is no, there's probably something that's going on that's limiting the growth or the overall value of not just the company that you run, but the life that you live. It's so funny whenever we go through an issue processing, uh, you know, with the group where somebody brings some seemingly benign business problem to the table. It's like, you know, Hey, how do I take advantage of this opportunity? How do I mitigate this risk? How do I, what do I do about this hire that I have or whatever? And through that discovery process, you know, we start asking questions, you know, about the problem. And then by the time we get to the point where we come around and restate it and say, okay, well, what's the real problem here? You've shifted from, you know, I need to hire a, you know, new director of sales to, I don't have a very good relationship with my children. And that's the real problem that I need to solve. Or it's like, you know, I, you know, I haven't been fulfilling my responsibilities at church the way that I feel like I need to. You know, you always, it, it very frequently, like what John says, is it kind of gets down below the neck where it's all, it's, it's not in the head, it's in the heart. And it's like, you don't real, going through that process and having people that have kind of been where you are that are willing to be vulnerable with you does bring that out. And it, and it, and it helps your progress be a lot faster whenever you solve those problems, because it's like, you know, I think it was, uh, throw, I think that said, you know, like hack, you know, don't, you know, something, something to the effect of like, you know, for every, for every person, you know, 
for every thousand people hacking at the leaves of a problem, there's one striking at its root. And that's kind of the uh, similar, I similar idea that the root of the problem, you know, don't, don't waste your time trying to solve symptoms, solve the actual root of the problem. And it's just a lot easier to go through that discovery process when you have people that are kind of in, in like you said, in some ways, sort of in the same place as you. I think the, so I'm not smart enough to know where, where the solutions are going to come from. I do know that it's going to come from the group. And when I initially, sometimes with non-Visage members, or as they're entering the group, I'll often hear, well, I want to know about the group because then I can decide who's going to help me. And with 16 to 18 CEOs with incredible life experiences and working through challenges and opportunities and doing phenomenal things day in and day out, you don't know where it's going to come from. And the, the group does a level of heavy lifting through that responsibility that it's really impossible to find somewhere else. And, and I always uh, find expertise, find great employees, get great consultants who have experience and put that in. And the sort of part of the triangle that completes that is allow yourself to be a part of a peer group because stuff starts happening. And the way I, I gauge it is I want to be able to look back one year back from where I am today, kind of shake my head and say, oh, I can't believe I was that person. So a peer group is it's not a networking group. A peer group is a responsibility group. CEOs, no CEOs. So, of course, there's going to be opportunities that develop from that. But there's other opportunities. I would never have gone skydiving if it wasn't for one of our members who jumped out of a plane. Uh, about 500 times. So now I realize I like skydiving and things like that. So it's it's amazing what develops out of that. And as as we grow or as I grow as a person, when I decided to become a Vistage chair, or as they say, I chose Vistage or Vistage chose me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I'd gone to an executive summit about four years ago in Dallas. There are 750 CEOs and I was co-leading a private equity firm at the time. And the chair invited me and they say, hey, John, what do you think about becoming a, a Vistage member? But I, I really like the thought of it, um, but I'm on a plane all the time, either in China or Middle East or Mexico. Yeah. Or have you. I said, I do like the idea of becoming a chair. So Vistage reached out, hey, would you like to become a chair? And I said, well, at some point, if I have an exit and uh, that comes into play, then let's revisit that. And uh, I did have an exit. I, I then became more of a full-on consultant. I, I led some companies and helped them get to uh, a better position. And then I decided, let's look back at Vistage. And when Vistage in- interviewed me, they asked, hey, John, what do you want to become a chair? And the reason I, I wanted to become a chair and I continue to love being a chair is through Vistage, I'm forced to learn how to build emotional transformational relationships yeah and it's that uh i don't know it, it's it's that level of connection or whatever that you can only find i think uh if you seek it out you know and that's kind of another thing too that is that that it's helpful about joining a peer group i think is that you're you know certainly if you were joining something that's got a very stringent selection process, you know, they kind of can screen out the folks that are there for networking, you know, but, uh, I think that 
by virtue of being there, you're, you're there with people that want to have a relationship. You know, you're there with people that want to bring value and have, you know, bring value to you. And then also, you know, they want to, they want to listen. I, you know, I kind of have a personal rule about professional development is that you should spend a third of your time learning, you know, sitting at the feet of people, you know, sitting at the feet, so to speak, of people that have been where you have not and learning from them about a third of your time with people that are sort of at the same place with you on the journey. And then about a third of the time teaching those that, that need your help. And I find that Vistage, it's like all, like every meeting, you kind of get a chance to do all three of them. You know, it's like at some point you're listening to someone who has, you know, been down that road and you're learning from them. And then five minutes later, it's like, you're talking to somebody that seems like they've got the exact same problem as you and you're working it out together. And then, you know, after lunch, you know, somebody's coming to you and saying, man, you know all about this. You've done this before. Can't you teach me about it? And so, uh, I, I, th I find that having relationships that can kind of transition where it's not all give, it's not all take, it changes from one second to the next, you know, it, it, it's very cool to join a group and be a part of that. It's exhilarating. It's tiring. It's uh, there's employees will say that there's two worst times uh, that they have with their CEO. And that's when they come back from vacation or when they come back from a Vistage meeting because they're all set to go with new ideas. And so and, and I've heard that said by many, many groups uh, across the country. So it's, it's amazing how it resonates. Yeah, it's it. It is exhausting. Usually we're ready. Like I'm very ready for happy hour by the time we get to the end of the day uh, at our meeting. Uh, something that you said earlier before we wrap up, I just kind of want to get your opinion on is you, you mentioned how like back, you know, back in the eighties, there was kind of this mindset of, you know, bottom line business, right. Where, you know, people were piece of machinery that could be chewed up and replaced like a, you know, machine tool. Uh, and I think that we have definitely seen a transition where people are more interested in the, you know, the whole person and all that. Um, what do you, what, what mistakes do you think people are making now? Like, as we look back, you know, cause like certainly, you know, 20 years from now or whatever, we will look back at the, you know, the, you know, certainly the immediate post pandemic pandemic world and just kind of like, what was business, what was the business environment like in the 2020s, you know, the early 2020s, what do you think that we'll look back and say like, yeah, we kind of, this aspect of business leadership was out of alignment with what will prove to have, to be the best way to lead a company. I think there's a transitional shift, which, which I've been pondering lot is I think in the 80s and perhaps in the 90s it was it's always it was really about cost and it continues to be about cost so there was a, a large transformation in people moving jobs globally uh, leaders and companies to lower cost environments so there is in the United States uh, you're shipping our jobs to to Asia or you're shipping yeah. our jobs to Mexico and I, and I heard that in Canada as well and what now I think is they're not longer jobs. When I look at a, a fast food restaurant and I see that they need about 22 people to operate it, 
And I look at, is this high value work? So how do you start stripping away the, the repetition? How do you automate that? Uh, I've seen robotics. They make pretty good fries and hamburgers pretty consistently. But what do you do with the people? Because people matter. How do we train them into something that's more valuable and to have them involved? And if we look at the transportation industry, which I think it employs about 10% of the U.S. employable population. So as we get into more automation and vehicles, that self-driving vehicles, what happens there? Well, do insurance rates go down? Because now these trucks are being run by AI and they, they can run at any sort of environment. Uh, they can run 24 hours a day. They can perhaps run closer together. They can carry more efficient loads. But what happens to the person uh, who's going to be potentially displaced from that? How do we provide a, a higher value opportunity for them to become involved and be productive? So I think the focus from the 80s to now is what about the person? There was what about the, the job? What about the, the, the cost savings? What about there's nothing to do with the person? How do we make those people more valuable? So that they can contrib contribute, and and I mean those people, I mean all of us. There's things are moving so much quicker. There's so much coming into play, and when I hear, well, I'm at the risk of losing my my job, or my way of providing value to myself, and and to my family, and much more than economically, is how do I feel that I'm. I'm valuable and significant as a human being. I think that's the question that's coming into more, much more into play. So aside from, you know, joining Vistage, what are, what are we supposed to do about it? Right. I mean, like what's that, what, that's a very deep question. And I think that, uh, you know, certainly, you know, there's a lot of, you know, really great thinkers out there that would agree with you that, you know, what's going to happen as the rate of change continues to accelerate in, uh, you know, the, the onset of, you know, the automation stuff or whatever, that's, you know, probably going to be coming. And many of us will, you know, see deployed, you know, at massive scale over the course of our lifetimes. I think that's a common thought, but I guess like, what is the, um, what is the solution, you know, because obviously we're not going to completely understand the problem until we, you know, or completely, completely understand the situation, I should say, until it's here and upon us. Uh, so, so what's the fix? What should we be doing? There's several fixes to it. I think some of it starts out like this with a question. How do I, how do I, as somebody who's elected or selected myself to be in a leadership role, design and uh, provide value for the people that I serve, my clients and the people that I, that I decide whom I want to interact with at a, in a manner that provides them with something incredibly valuable and much more than monetary. And through that, how do I then have my employees working at and learning at such a level that they can provide that? And uh, I think raising canes, uh, when we had a presenter in, and it was one of the larger franchisees uh, for raising canes, and uh, was that how do you treat people badly in the back and yell at them and, uh, and then tell them to go out front and serve the customer with a smile and happiness. And, uh, and, and business is hard. Life is hard. It's supposed to be. It's challenging. And uh, 
And our time here is often feels so brief, uh, but there's incredible things that can be done if we decide that we're going to be more responsible. Well, I think that getting into the, you know, ever-changing landscape and, you know, the, like, as I mentioned before, it's like the rate of change is going to continue to accelerate and, you know, the problems and challenges that we will have will become more complex, not less. And so I'd say that that kind of, you know, if, if you need any other case of just like why you should go out and find a mastermind group, peer group, you know, some organization that you can join where you can investigate these kinds of questions. If you're a business leader, like, you know, just, just stop and think about what the future is going to look like 10 years from now and try to convince yourself that this is not a worthwhile investment to find a tribe of people that can help you navigate it. So I don't know. Remember this. I'm already a member. You don't have, like, I don't need to sell myself again, but it's just like anybody that's listening out there. It's like, you know, seriously, some of the best money that I have best investment. I think I've ever made was joining. I appreciate the feedback. And it's, it's a, it's a journey. It's we're figuring it out uh, consistently and, and really doing the very best that we can to, uh, to raise each other. And that's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool thing. And to be, that's one day a month, one day a month. And what a huge investment that is, but there's 25,000 CEOs in 20 countries that decide to make that investment. So there's something, there's something going on. There's something going on. And so the, uh, as is evidenced by like most of the guests that I've had on the podcast are, you know, actually members of the Vistage group that I'm in. And so, uh, I think that people can kind of get a flavor of the value that they can add, uh, you know, because it's, you know, I, I, I I sit and learn from these guys every day, these guys and gals every day. Well, and just, uh, just a point there. How do, how do we know when a CEO is doing a better job? They start smiling more. Mm-hmm. And it's it's those little things, and uh, it's powerful. And uh, and you're an incredible part uh, and a heavy lifter within the group. And so, and also doing what you do with the podcast and getting your voice and the voice of others out there. Uh, one never knows where the where the lift and uh, the positive sort of thoughts and ideas come from. So, thank you. Yeah, well, we certainly appreciate the conversation, John. We're going to have a uh, some more thoughts from John in part two. We've been talking a lot about the CEO aspect of it, but really, like, you know, John is going to discuss probably the best lesson that I have learned from him through the you know years that I've known him uh, about having relationships at the right levels. And so we'll get into that in part two. Uh, but in the meantime, John, thank you so much for joining. I appreciate it. Always a you know. Always a smile on my face after we get done talking. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Hey there, Travis Richards, one last time. Thank you so much for investing your time and tuning into the show. I really hope that this was helpful to you and I would appreciate your feedback very much. If you have some notes on what specifically from this episode was useful, or if you have ideas on what we can do better in the future. If you would like to support the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This helps other people find us and also just recommend us to a friend. To get in touch, visit us at www.getbetteratbusiness.com. 
That's all for this episode, and I hope that you'll join us again next time. Thanks.